We've been talking in uh, 1 John, uh, this letter that uh, John, the apostle of Jesus, one of the 12, uh, wrote to some churches that were situated around uh, ancient Ephesus. He was probably instrumental in their beginning, was their first pastor. Uh, and as he left and went on to do other things in the church, they, like so many churches, uh, started kind of drifting away from their original charter, their original start stuff, and, and they were kind of you know, floundering in some falsehoods. And so he writes uh, three letters. Uh, all of which admonish them to return to the right faith, to the right uh, ideas uh, of truth. But he also encourages them. And so we're, we're kind of reading this first one, and, and we're, we're understanding that what John's saying is, hey, you got to walk this way. you got to walk with God. Uh, uh, we we got to walk in the light. He actually uh, makes a profound statement. He says, God is light. He's not just bright or like a light. He is light. He personifies light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So walk in the light as he is in the light. And he, 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 he basically spends the first half of his book just alluding to that and pointing to that. Walk this way. Walk in the light. And then later in the book, he's going to talk about how God is love, another profound statement. He's not just loving or lovely. He is love. He personifies love. And so we, as his followers, are meant to walk in his love, uh, emulating him in how we love each other. Uh, but today we're going to talk about walking the line. Walk the line. Come on. Johnny Cash fans, anybody in the house? Let's do some Johnny Cash. I was uh, sitting in my, uh, my living room with Eleanor. Uh, this was probably a couple years ago, but uh, we were just tooling around Netflix and found a, a, a PBS documentary by Ken Burns. Uh, on the, uh, the history of uh, American country music. And I'm not a country music fan, if you are, good for you. Uh, but uh, I'm a Johnny Cash fan after watching that mess. Uh, he's got some great songs, uh, and just an incredible story in his life. Uh, and so uh, this is one of his most famous songs. Uh, does anybody know who, who, uh, who he wrote this for? Yeah, it was for his wife, Vivian. Uh, it goes like this. You guys know it? You want to sing it? We might as well. It's karaoke. Let's do it. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine Keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out of that tie that binds All right, because you're mine I walk the line Yeah, it gets really low there. Anyway, yeah. uh, he wrote that for Vivian, his first wife. He wrote it because he was a... Uh, you know, out on the road, and he was trying to remind himself of his commitment to her and, and, and making sure that he didn't let any other women come into his life. It worked for a while. <laughs> but if you know the story of Johnny Cash, he met another woman. Her name was June Carter. And when he met June, he just he went head over heels, and he wrote this song. Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. Here we go. I fell into a burning ring of fire. It went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire, the ring of fire. Oh, thank you for allowing me to live out my rock and roll dreams one more time. It's so pandering, it's so silly. 50-year-old wannabe rock or star. All right, uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we, I'm not doing all of his hits, sir. 
This is not that kind of show, that kind of church. All right. Uh, <laughs> fascinating uh, to just you know, uh, know the life of, of a guy like Johnny Cash who had his you know, problems just like the rest of us, had his early commitments, uh, but then failed, at least in the subject matter of that one song, to walk the line. How are you when it comes to walking the line with your God? You're kind of on it most of the time, but then off it every once in a while. And you scurry back to it, and you're like, oh, sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord. Let me get back in. But then all of a sudden, there's the pull of this over here. I, uh, I love the analogy of walking the line. It reminds me of the tightrope walkers. Everybody seen one of those in the circus? There's uh, some of the most famous ones that just live in our, our state down the, the road, the Walendas. Uh, uh, I can't, I don't know what's the first name, Nick. Anyway, he, uh, uh, he's famous for, you know, stretching a, a rope between buildings and walking over, you know, downtown New York and different things like that. And I went to one of his shows with Eleanor a few years back down there in Sarasota, and, and uh, he's standing up on the tower. He's about to walk, you know, a couple hundred feet above the ground, I guess. Uh, across this wire, and he's got a microphone on. He's explaining to everybody, this is how I do it. You know, I got the pole, right? Uh, but then uh, it's really important that, that you, you know, maintain your balance, but you got to watch where you're going in order to stay on the line. Uh, reminds me of certain verses in our scriptures where, like in Hebrews 12, it, uh, we're told by the writer there to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? Uh, focus on him. Walk his line. Uh, but unfortunately, we struggle with that. So John, knowing that, kind of goes there next in his letter. Uh, he's going to start uh, our time with him this morning with some encouragements. Everybody for encouragements? Everybody like them? Yeah, we can uh, admonish all we want, but if we forget to encourage and to remind uh, our, our admonishees of the things that they have in their disposal, uh, to do what we're telling them to do, we can kind of send them out feeling a little defeated. So the first thing we're going to encounter today is this. We all have, if we are in Christ, all that we require to walk the line with him. Uh, verse 12 through 14, it's uh, interesting how they uh, put it in your Bibles. The English uh, translators kind of indent it. It's because it's a quote, uh, probably a quote of uh, some early church creeds. If you uh, can think back to the first century, they didn't have Bibles, the internet, screens. Um, they had to uh, memorize uh, and, and learn from rote the things that they believed. And so they committed scripture to memory. They committed creeds and, and, and belief statements to memory. It's kind of like us in our country, you know, knowing the Pledge of Allegiance. Does anybody know the Pledge of Allegiance? Starts out like this, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And I know we should stand up, but everybody could do it, right? We could all sing the anthem? All right. Those things are in our culture as reminders of who we are in our country. Uh, and in the same way, the church had their creeds, their songs. That's why the Bible says to sing songs and hymns to each other. It wasn't just so they could hear each other's voices. That was nice. But it was to remind them of the truth that was in those hymns. And this is how we live. So that's what John does. He basically, you know, uh, takes some of his uh, letter space and he just says, hey, let me remind you of who we are. And he's going to do it in terms uh, poetically of, of speaking to three different groups within this church. He's going to start with children or little children as he calls them. 
Um, he's the father of the church. This is what he calls everybody in the church. You're all my kids, okay? Then he goes on and he says, and let me address you fathers in, in the church. Uh, elderly men is another way you could uh, translate that Greek word. Um, uh, he certainly is not limiting it to the men. He's speaking to the olders, men and women in the, in the crowd. And he's, he's either uh, referring to the actual physically older, you know, chronologically older, or the spiritually older, those who are more mature in the faith, or maybe both. Because then he goes on and he speaks to the younger men, certainly not limiting to, to the dudes. He's, he's speaking to the youngers, men and women. And he's speaking to those who might be younger in age and perhaps younger in the faith. But he, he speaks to all, the children, the fathers, the, the, the youngers. Uh, he does it all. And, and most of the scholars that I read this week agree that it's just his way of kind of poetically including everybody. It's like the Texas all y'all. Is anybody familiar with the phrase all y'all? Yeah, this is what you say in Texas when you mean everybody, not just this section. All y'all, right? It's not just y'all. It's all y'all. So let's read his encouragements. These reminders of uh, the things that uh, this church had been taught and be encouraged by them ourselves. I'm writing to you, he says, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What a great way to start. He's just gotten done, uh, you know, the chapter before talking about if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Just, just wrote that. And so he hearkens back to that. He says, isn't it great? If we get off the line, if we leave the light and head into the darkness, like he was talking about in chapter one, if we kind of go over here, isn't it great that God doesn't say, all right, you messed up, you're done. I'm glad nobody in here does that with anybody in their life. I'm so grateful that everybody in here, you know, is 100% forgiving and always willing, no, no grudges. Is anybody not looking at me right now? Yeah, I'm talking to you. It's sarcasm. It's meant to help you understand that we are to be forgiving as our God is forgiving. And isn't it great that God forgives our failures and invites us back to his line? Is that great? Is anybody happy about that today? All right, it's a good start. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He's already used this phrase, him who is from the beginning in his first chapter. He's referring to Jesus. And, and we talked about this in a previous message. He's not just saying you know about Jesus. He's saying you know Jesus. You're in relationship with the Son of God. That should be an encouragement to us, that if we have found faith in Jesus Christ, we don't just have his forgiveness. We aren't just you know, uh, saved and sealed in him. We are walking in life with him, and he with us. He goes with us wherever we go. We know him who is from the beginning. Second half of verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. One of my favorite uh, lines here, because he's very careful about his verb tense. Do you see what he did there? Not you will overcome, not you are overcoming, but past tense, at the cross, sin and its author, Satan, have been overcome. Game over, we won. When Jesus cries from the cross, we'll talk about it in a few weeks, it says, it is finished, what he meant in the Greek is, it is finished. I won. He says, I write to you, verse, uh, or verse 13, children, because you know the Father. He's going to hearken back to the relationship thing twice here. Look at verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. We have, again, this relationship with God. Uh, the Son and God the Father. Through the Son and his work, his forgiveness, we are reconciled to the Father. And then he says this as he finishes out verse 14. I write to you, young men. 
so that you can know the effect of your forgiveness, so that you can know uh, the impact of your relationship with God through Jesus. This is what happens. You are made strong. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. I write to all y'all, because you are strong. Anybody ever felt weak? Felt like this, uh, this life is a bit overwhelming? Whether it was COVID, whether it's the war, whether it's finances, whether it's whatever. We can get there, right? I get there all the time as your pastor. I was preparing to preach this message last night, and uh, at 4.30 I go over, and I, I, I help uh, um, uh, lead worship with uh, uh, other members of our worship team. And, uh, and so I go over to practice the worship songs. And, and I'll write the sermon all week and get right up to about 4.30 on a Saturday. I still have no idea what I'm doing. Anybody been there, worked hard for a long time and just got nothing? Just me. Okay. Uh, but I'm walking over there last night and I'm just praying as I'm walking and I'm like, Father, I don't know how to organize all this. I don't know how to put this all together. I don't know how to illustrate these things. I don't know what to say. And I got to do it in like, like now. And, and as God is wont to do when I slow down enough and shut up and long enough for him to talk back, He's like, Mark, you feeling kind of weak? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, perfect. That's exactly where I need you, bro. I mean, don't not try. Don't do your part, but, you know, don't feel like, but, but, but I want you in this place where you feel inadequate because that's when I show up the most in your life. Oh, may God give us the grace to stay down, to be weak so that he can be strong. That's the blessed result of our relationship with him, his forgiveness of us. We are strong. The word of God abides in us. We talked about this in previous messages too, but John loves to call Jesus. One of his names for him is the Logos, the word. And so he may be just talking about the truth, the words uh, of God abide in us, but he's probably talking about, again, Jesus himself is here as you walk through life. He's not out there. He's not someone we're trying to find like an Easter egg hunt. He's here. And he walks through everything we face with us, in front of us, protecting and providing for us. He's here. And you have overcome. One more time, you have overcome the evil one. You know, in heaven, there's a different scoreboard. Everybody who goes to games, uh, we sit down in the stands, and usually somewhere, whatever the sport is, there's a scoreboard that reads the score. There's a clock, and then there's, you know, the numbers that basically dictate uh, who's winning. Um, Most of the time when I start, uh, you know, at a game, the score is 0-0. If you notice this, would you be kind of miffed if you were already down 10, you know, (laughs) when you started a game against some other team? Hey! Uh, but zero zero is just how it begins. It, it starts as touchdowns are you know uh, you know made and 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 shots and goals are you know the, the, the scoreboard changes, and, and that's how we live our lives. We live in the moment. We, we see the ups and downs, and then sometimes uh, we feel like a very palpable, measurable win. And then sometimes we feel like man, we lost. We got crushed in that situation because that's what we got. In this time continuum, we got a scoreboard that reads wins and losses. But here's the scoreboard in heaven, just so we're clear. There's, there's no change in the score. It, it just says God wins, Satan loses. And that scoreboard, just so we know, spiritually speaking, is imposed over whatever score you're reading in your life. And so even if it feels like, I'm, I'm losing, 
There's no way that this could turn out for the good. There's no way that I can come back from this. There's no way that this is a win. God looks at us as John writes to his friends here in these churches and he says, hey man, I have overcome the enemy. I have overcome in your life. Just wait. I'll show you and you'll see. How do we as Christ followers walk the line? That's the next part that John's gonna help us with, help us understand. How do we, how do we stay here and not go flying off all over here? He's gonna talk about it in terms of passion, our loves. He says in verse 15 that we need to love God and not the world. Love God, not the world. This is where I got that. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's where I got it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, John gets real stark here. He gets real, mm, you can't be in the dark and be in the light, he said last chapter. You can't love the world and say that you love God. They're incompatible. So if you want to stay on the line, then you keep your heart and your love fixed on Jesus, on, on God's Son, on God the Father, on the things that he's called for us to do. And if you start loving the world and the things of the world, you know, you're going to get pulled away from what God wants. Now, the world there is the Greek word cosmos. Uh, it, it has lots of meanings. It can mean the actual earth, uh, you know, the, the globe, the, uh, all of creation. It can mean the people of the world. Uh, certainly that's uh, who God had in mind when, uh, through Jesus, he told us that he loves the world so much that he sent his only son, right? So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That word world doesn't mean the whole, it just means the people in the world, the whoever's in the world, right? And so God loves the world. Everybody agree with me on that? All seven, whatever billion of us. He loves all of us, even the ones who don't like him. Deny that he exists. He loves those turkeys, right? So we're supposed to love those turkeys. Get used to it. It's just who we are in God. We, we love the world. So what does he mean when he says you cannot love the world? Well, he's, there's a third meaning for the word cosmos. It's often used in scripture to refer to uh, those who reject and ignore God, those who live without recognizing his claims on them. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 10, uh, we see kind of the, the, you know, the apostle John using this word world in different ways. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. So he lived on the earth. And, and the world, uh, the earth and its people were made through him, right? So he kind of combos that use of cosmos. Yet the world, and this is where he kind of shifts and he thinks, but the people who uh, don't recognize God's claim on them, the people who were uh, rebellious toward him. He goes on in John chapter 1 and describes how uh, he came to his own and his own rejected him. He says, the world did not know him. So in essence, what John's saying here in verse 15 is you can't love the world and God at the same time. Uh, now, <clears throat> this verse has been used in lots of churches to, to head in some um, unfortunate directions. I grew up in a, in a tradition of churches where legalism was, was kind of how they, they took this verse uh, and, and applied it in, in, in the, in the you know, uh, family of God. Um, so they made a lot of laws. Here's how we will not love the world. We'll have all these rules. Some of them are about hair length, like you had to cut your hair a certain length. Um, 
Uh, certainly you couldn't go to movies or drink or smoke or date girls that do, you know. Uh, um, they had all these rules. And, and I'm not saying that all of them were wrong. Many of them were helpful and, and in, in the direction of, of the line that God would have for us. But some of them, they got kind of crazy. Like I remember, I didn't know this, but my mom was telling me as uh, we drove to Cleveland a few weeks ago, uh, you know, just some of the stories from my childhood. I was too young to remember these things. But there was apparently one of the churches we were part of um, a night where uh, all of the women in the church were told to bring their pants, their slacks, uh, to church that night because they were going to have a bonfire. You had to bring all your pants, ladies, and you had to bring your daughter's pants because apparently these are, you know, wrong. And, uh, and, and so they put them in a big, huge pile and th- threw some gas on them and burnt all the pants. And I was like, Mom, how, you know, did, 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 I mean, she said, well, I kept, you know, a pair for me and my, my two daughters, obviously. You know, I brought most of the pants, but that was just crazy, right? And I was like, yeah, it seems a little crazy. We're burning pants. But this is where that could go. And here, here's, here's what man loves to do. Man loves to basically uh, create their own system uh, of how they're going to love God. Let me, let me just, you know, draw the box. This is what it looks like for me to love God. No pants, haircuts. Uh, no face cards, whatever. And they, they move quickly away from actual love of God into laws of man. And in doing so, they lose love of God entirely. Now, that's where Jesus landed when he came to the earth. He was, uh, you know, in the Jewish faith. And, and they were just tons of laws, 550, some say over 600 different laws that the Jews had to follow according to the Mosaic law and all the rabbinic law and all that stuff. And, and basically society was broken up into these tiers of people who were able to keep the laws. The Pharisees were the best and, you know, the more common Jews were just kind of mediocre at them. But, but these laws had been, you know, emphasized in the Jewish faith uh, because it, it differentiated themselves from each other. There was the haves and the have-nots, the doers and the do-nots. And, and the love of God was completely lost. Just keep the rules. And so, you know... Uh, Many of the expressions of the faith these days have moved away from legalism. And some of you are like, right on! Let me talk to you for a second. Because here's what's happened on the other side. We've abandoned the laws. We've learned uh, the meaning of verses like it was for freedom that he set us free. And so we understand grace and we understand freedom and and, and we allow ourselves to experience things uh, that may not be honoring to God, the best in our relationship with him. It certainly will, you know, um, uh, uh, mar us or, or keep us from loving him fully because uh, we deny ourselves nothing. We move away from the line into license. I can do whatever I want. If I happen to sin, God will forgive it. Grace! And I can just live however I want, uh, knowing that God forgives and loves me still. Uh, This doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you why? Because when you entered into covenant with God, you entered into relationship with God, and the things that you do matter in in terms of that relationship being successful and growing and and being vibrant and alive. It's just like marriage. Come on. Who's married among us? Anybody been married? Anybody looking forward to being married? Okay. If you're you're in a covenant relationship relationship with your, your spouse, and you go and do whatever you want, Behave however you like. Stay out as long as you want. Don't tell her or him that you're not coming home. Uh, if, if, if you openly, you know, go on Facebook and look up all your old flames and have conversations with them. 
Uh, if you, you know, at every turn invoke yourself and your desires and it's all about me in this relationship, how's that marriage going to go? Poorly, if you're not clear, if you're kind of wondering about that. The relationship will suffer if those in it say, I have no rules. I can do whatever I want. And they'll just forgive me. Come on. This doesn't even make sense. And so the same goes for our relationship with God. Thank, thank him for his, uh, the liberty that he gives us. When I think of the line, I think about the liberty that we have in, in Christ. It's not a liberty to do whatever we want, license. It's the liberty to do what he wants and to honor him in the things that he calls us to. Now, we've got to be careful not to create things that he's not calling us to over here in legalism land. We've got to stay in liberty, not license, not legalism. Find the space between the two. We can't love the world and love God at the same time. John helps clarify uh, how a love for the world happens in us. Kind of breaks it down for us. Like if you're wondering, do I love the world? Probably in some parts of your life, okay? And if you do, it's, it's the result of, of sin being, uh, you know, in your nature. You have this old man, this old woman, this old you that wants what it wants and doesn't care about the line that God has given us. And so John kind of breaks that down for us. Gives us some things to watch out for here in verse 16. It says this, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, all three of these things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. The Father doesn't give you this desire to fill your flesh, to, to provide for your flesh, and we'll talk about that in a second. He doesn't want you to give, over, give yourself over to the appetites of your life, the desires that you see and in, in, in take in. He doesn't want you to live uh, in a self-assured life, in, in a self-sustaining uh, you know, life. He wants you to be dependent on him and not... On yourself, these things are kind of sequential. When our values uh, get established apart from the direction of God, this leads to some overboard desires seeping into our lives, desires for the things of the world. And those things combined lead us to this wrong confidence in ourselves. So let's just walk through these one by one. First of all, we need to watch out for the desires of the flesh. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, uh, these are not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, the Greek word for desire there is epithumia. Everybody say epithumia. Yeah. It just means uh, hunger or craving. Like, is anybody hungry right now? We're getting close to lunch. Some of you are looking at your watch. Boy, I hope he hurries up. Anyway, um, that hunger is a natural craving, an epithumia that is in you, given to you by God so that you remember to eat. You got to eat to live. You got to drink to live. You get, anybody thirsty? You got to drink. Uh, you got to breathe to live. Like your innate uh, desire to breathe <laughs> is, is an epithumia. It's a craving. Uh, we can't hold our breath too long. We, uh, our bodies will just be like, hey, dummy, what are you doing? Breathe already. And that's how we go. Cravings or, or desires uh, have, uh, you know, objects. And, and here, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the flesh 
refers to um, the desires for the things that are in the human realm. Flesh has lots of different meanings. It can mean your actual skin. But here in a spiritual sense, the flesh is the stuff of the world. Now, lots of the stuff of the world, bad. We'd all look at that and be like, oh, don't do drugs and don't do this and don't cheat. And don't, you know. But then there's some of the stuff of the world, not bad. Like, let's talk about this one. Success, who thinks it's success? Raise your actual hand. Do you think success is good? Yeah, overall, who wants to be successful? Round of applause. You want to be successful out there? Four of you. That's so great. All right. Uh, can success be bad? Absolutely. If success becomes your God, it takes you away from God. If success becomes your chief aim in life, it takes you away from the other things that God has entrusted to you like your family, your marriage, uh, your own health. Uh, if, if we get too much of a good thing, it's a bad thing. And, and more succinctly put here, if we get something that is benign or good outside of God's design for us in life, that has a potential to move us away from love for him and into a love of the world it's hard not to want more than God wants for you, but that's at the core of every sin. Everybody gets that, right? Eve in the garden, Satan comes up to her. She's living in a perfect world. She's perfect herself. She's got want for nothing. There's one rule. Can you imagine a world where there's one rule? Don't eat that. That's it. But Satan comes up and talks some mess and starts Eve to thinking. And she, what, what, is his, what is his temptation? You know, there's something more. There's, you know, it, it, more succinctly, you know there's something outside of God's will for your life that's better. You can have more. I know it's not on the line that he drew for you, but trust me, <laughs> it's better over here. And so off she goes. She goes outside of God's design for her life and seeks more. This, this is one of the best ways that I've figured out how to explain this. Um, living life in love with God or in love for God means I listen to him above everyone else. And I don't do it unless he gives me the okay, either in his word or in my spirit when I pray to him. I just do what he says me for me to do. That's where the line is. The line is in what God says. And so we play this game as kids called Simon Says. Anybody played Simon Says? You want to play real quick? Let's play real quick. We're playing Simon Says right now. Simon Says, touch your nose. All right, that's really good. Okay, we should probably play the standing up. Everybody stand up real quick. Let's do this real fast. Just stand up with me real quick. Okay, you're all out. Way to go. <laughs> Did I not just say we're playing Simon Says? Yeah, feel it, people. Feel it. That was the second thing in the game. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. I didn't stand up. You still touching your nose? Because Simon said, didn't say to stop touching your nose, right? So the whole church is out. Great. But that's how easy it is for us to miss what our Father is saying. But that's the call that we've been given in life. This, this life is, what a, is a God says life. What, what God says goes. Watch out for the desires of the eyes is the next one. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, uh, these are not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, I, I like to think of the desires of the flesh as a little pinhole in the fabric of your life. You know, just this little, 
And, and what happens is we just kind of, our affections, our values start steering us towards something that looks really good perhaps, but it's not what God wants for us. And so we get off of his line and onto our own line. And, and what that does is it opens us up to these other things in us, uh, our, our appetites that are triggered by what we see. And all of a sudden that little pinhole is now starting to tear. And like all, you know, is the fad now and the ripped jeans and stuff like that. It's just like... <laughs> And it just becomes this mess, this life that we have with them, just becomes this, this you know, torn open existence. Because once we lean away from him, uh, the next thing is uh, Satan looks at us and he says, oh, good. I got their love, their affection away from God and onto the world. Now I'll trip, you know, all of these uh, triggers in them uh, that, that draw them into the stuff that their old man wants. Again, going back to the garden, does anybody remember how uh, the first sin in existence was introduced? It says that Eve saw that the fruit was good. It was these things. She looked and saw and said, I want. And that's what we do all the time, right? I just asked you if you were hungry. Anybody heard this saying? Eyes bigger than your stomach? Seems hard to believe that that's possible with some of us. We got big stomachs. But we do it all the time. It's called gluttony. We eat way more than we need. Why? Because we want it. I can see it, and I want to put it in here. <laughs> Almost all of the sins are tied to what we see. Uh, and us uh, overstepping the line that God has for us so that we can have what we see. Theft. Come on. I want what the Joneses have, and so uh, when they're not looking, I'm just going to go take it. Uh, that's, that's where wars come from, right? Other countries want what those countries that they're at war with have. I mean, that's how they get started. Revenge, come on. Revenge is I want satisfaction. Outside of God's will, outside of what he's going to do for me, I want to be repaid. And so I'm going to go and get it however I can. I mean, I don't need to go down all the sins, but a lot of them are rooted in what we see, what we want what we demand. And John says, you guys, you, you, you got to be smarter than that. You, you've got to stay away from the desires of the flesh because those will tap into the desires of your eyes and then off we go. And then he, he closes it with this one. Watch out for the pride of life. Watch out for the pride of life. He says, for all that's in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. The pride of life is, is that self-sufficiency I talked about earlier. It's us thinking, you know what, I got this. I can, I will. And listen, on their face, those aren't bad statements. We should be uh, you know, looking to further ourselves in, lives and, in life and, and to become all that we can be, but it should always be in step with God and certainly in deference to God. Everybody understands that whatever we have, it's his. Everybody gets that, right? And so whatever I enact in life, whether it's my own self, my body, my, my thoughts, my, my words, or, or whatever I use in life, whatever he's entrusted me with, it's his. It's, he's got the say-so. It's Simon says, God says, whatever he wants with this, that's what I do. And I don't get too precious about me and my stuff because I'm bought with a price. I am not my own. I am his. And I want to walk his line. A lot of times, we try to convince God that our line's best. I know your line's here, Father, but can we just go ahead? Tell you what, let's just move you over here, God. That'll be, and we'll just walk my line for a while. And he says, no, that's not how this works, bro. 
Yeah, but I know better. I know best. This is what really needs to happen, Lord. What do you say? He's just like, no, that's not at all what needs to happen. In fact, you're proving to me again just how uh, profound a danger it is for us to think that we are something when we are nothing. Hmm. I've watched it happen over and over in my life. You don't have to stand up and tell me yours, but I, I stray from the line all the time because my love for the world is stronger than my love for God. I've watched it happen in those uh, who I pastor. I've watched it happen in those who I parent. That's the tougher one. But my desire for all of us, for me, for you, for my kids, for everybody in the world, is to find the line and stay on the line, to love God enough to do what he says, to desire him above the stuff of the world, the things of the world, above the, the things that I see, above the, the, the certainties that I have about my own abilities. I want to look to him, follow him, and receive only what he desires for me in life. John gives a reason for us doing this. He, he tells us that world stuff doesn't last but honoring God does. He says it this way. He says, the world is passing away along with all of its desires. It's not going to last. You ever notice that? All the things that we think are going to satisfy us, the stuff that we desire uh, in our flesh or in, in the things that we see, we think, oh, if I could just get that, if I could just make this much money, if I could just have these toys, if I could just be in a relationship with someone who's not my spouse and, and I could find that other person, I'll be happy. And then we find out that the stuff of this earth, whether it's the things of the earth or the other people on the earth, they won't fulfill us. They can't fulfill us. Only God can. The fulfillment that the world offers passes away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's why Jesus was so adamant in so many ways in telling those who followed him, hey man, be careful where your affections lie. Be careful with your love. You could say it in lots of different ways. Walk in the light and not in the dark. Worship God and not things and you. And, and be careful in your, in your affections and in your love. He says it this way when he was talking to his friends in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't love the world. Because moth and rust destroy the things of the world. Thieves break in and steal the stuff of the world. He says, instead, lay up your, for yourselves treasures that are in heaven, treasures that are on the line, <laughs> that go where God wants you to go, that, that come from what God desires for your life. Stay here. Because the stuff of, of this is not going to be ruined by rust, rust and moths and, and taken by thieves. It's, it's eternal. It's permanent. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? I mean, everybody in here uh, from time to time leaves the line. What are the things that you treasure? What are the things that, that rule you out here in this world? It can be the good things, success, and then over uh, wanting of that. It could be the, the negative things, the vices that our scriptures list for us. You know, it can be too. It can be like fear. It can be like uh, anger. There's all kinds of things that we can set on the throne of our lives. And God says, no, 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 no. That's my seat. 
I want you to love me. Together we'll take care of this other stuff. Don't worry about it. But seek me first. Seek my kingdom. Walk my line. And all these things, we'll take care of those. Will you stand with me as we close? Uh, Lord, thanks for being our provider, uh, for being more than enough. Forgive us for when we forget that, when we fail to live in light of that. Forgive us for when we love the world more than you, God. We know we can't do both. Help us, Lord, to watch out for the ways that the desires of the flesh and the desire of our eyes, the pride of our lives can seep into us. Uh, Lord, I'm just going to give everybody in the room and online just, you know, a, a, a brief time of prayer just to ask you, uh, like the, the, the prophet of old said, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Help me to walk your line. Everybody in the room, everybody online, just take a minute, just ask God, is there anything in me that is loving the world more than it loves you? Is there something in my life that I need to repent of so that I can return to the line? Ask him that. Father, it's easy to come to church and just kind of walk in and walk out and never really open our souls to you, open our lives to you for the things that you want to change in us. Whatever you brought to the minds of those who were uh, just praying to you uh, in that, that last brief moment of silence, Lord, would you help all of us to identify uh, the ways that we've left the line, to confess those to you, to each other if necessary. Uh, to repent of those things, to be reconciled in our relationships with you and those in our life, and to be uh, returned to God to the line so that we can walk it with you. Deal with us, Father. Uh, uh, help us to know that when we're weak, you are strong, that we are more than conquerors with you, that you'll forgive us. Uh, what a blessing that is. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to learn from you. Help us to be new, to to change what needs to change. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. And church said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Walk the line. I'll be down here if you want to talk. <laughs>